So long, long ago, I mean before the before COVID nineteen pandemic, some people normally wake up at seven or eight a.m. and then go to the dining hall. So they have a they have a breakfast table talk team, and Lena is one of them. So today it's our great, great, great honor and pleasure to invite Lena to join us and have a little bit chat about her、uh, recent life and how how are you, Lena? I'm good. Thank you for introducing. Do you want to introduce yourself a bit? Ah,、uh, sure. I am Lena, as most likely half of you in current IH knows me. I am a very proud member of the IH Breakfast Club. We were always there by 7:15. Anyone who wasn't there by 7:30 was kicked out. <laughs> I was never, I was never able to be even mentioned as a prospect、uh, for the breakfast club. It was so so early, guys. How how did you manage to to wake up so so early every day? We would go to early to bed, have very limited amount of fun. No, I'm just joking. But it was a very unique club because almost the same people showed up who bothered to wake up early. And we would have、yeah. a crazy conversation.、Mm-hmm. And I honestly miss every one of them during this pandemic. But the conversations were great. <laughs> That's part of when tired people would show up at eight and would be like, "What are they talking about? It's too early for this." <laughs> I, I I can imagine. So, Lina, we have a few questions prepared for you, and、uh, the first one is that I would like to know, and I'm pretty sure all the other residents in IH too, if you recognize yourself as a typical Bangladesh girl, and if you don't, then what made you think you are different? Well, Bangladesh is a very polarizing country at one. Stage. It's an extremely conservative country, but at the other hand, it's one of the highest growing economies. So it has a lot of progress happening. So it's hard to pinpoint exactly what a typical Bangladeshi girl is. But you know what? We are all a product of the privilege we receive, and I. So far, I know three people, including myself, in IH who were Bangladeshi, who are still Bangladeshi. But, and if you talk to all three of us, you'll notice that we are somewhat similar, but still obviously have our unique talents. Yeah. So,、mm-hmm. if you ask me if I'm a typical Bangladeshi girl, statistically, no. But、mm. you ask me if I'm. A typical Bangladeshi girl who had an enormous amount of privilege in the sense that I was one of the few who was born undereducated parents, received a bunch of education abroad, so I could actually open up more to the world. And yes, and you shouldn't forget the amazing privilege you had of having li-、uh, lived in IH. Definitely, definitely, everything led up to that moment. 
the first 26 years of my life, yeah, basically preparing for IH. For sure. So, Lena, so do you think education is important or not? And in what sense? And what, what does education mean to you? And why would you like to pursue your education in the UK after your high school? Lots of questions. Um, I think that one of the areas that I changed a lot in education is always important. And going back to the first question, if you ask a typical Bangladeshi person, they will always say yes. But the reason why education is important has changed over the years. If you ask me 10 years ago, a uh, majority of my family came from a farming family as most Bangladeshi families are. And due to the fact that we, in Bangladesh, we had free public universities, my parents received a free education, which allowed me to get out of that early in the five o'clock, go to the fields, harvest life. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. And that's why 10 years ago, education was a surefire way, as many people would think here, to get out of poverty. It's always yes. better your lives. You know, if you are born under certain circumstances, education is one of the easiest way to get out of that. Um, and that was my parents' main thinking when they decided to allow me to go to the UK because mm-hmm. not a lot of families over here allows young single girls to go abroad. Um, yeah. He thought, okay, I would get a chance to better myself, get a better high paying jobs. But then um, as I experienced my degrees in the UK, and especially when I came to IH, I learned education is basically one of the easiest way to learn empathy. Mm-hmm. I would obviously never walk in anyone else's shoes other than mine because I would never have that level of experience, that level of prejudice that a lot of other of my colleagues in the past have gone through. But due to the fact that I was educated enough to know which books to read, which sources to go to, that definitely taught me to think in a way that I would never have learned if I just stopped my education, say, at high school. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I can imagine, for sure. And that helped me a lot. I made friends all over the world, learned their unique experience. From the stories they shared, I realized, okay, what what are the things happening in my own life, where to Mm -hmm. protect, where to protest for others. And UK was a strange decision. Um, I personally wanted to go to the US because all high school TVs, all the television shows, just high school drama based in the US. (laughs) And I thought those girls are so cool. I have to become one of them. Yeah, for but, sure. I can, I can imagine. Yeah. American television was the pinnacle of what your life should be for a 16-year-old me. 
Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And talking talking about different talking about different uh, choices you you had to make. I'm I'm assuming uh, you had a blast in the UK. And uh, if you hadn't chosen after high school to study economics, uh, just like you would have gone to the US, what other career choices choices you would have made? If it was up to my parents, I would have studied medicine. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. my parents. But I quickly realized I don't have the level of strength, the level of logic and ba- empathy balance that requires to study medicine. I would have died. And <laughs> Are you one of those girls, that, uh, well, or people? Because I, I am one of those that get like iffy whenever it's like uh, blood around or guts or just uh, you know all those all those really difficult things doctors have to do in the biology classes in the sense that I was really good at dissecting frogs Ooh. I don't know why but As soon as someone tells me, oh yeah, I need this, I will be like, sure, I completely believe you. And mm-hmm. one of my cousins who is a doctor said, okay, you're going to make a horrible doctor, so don't even consider going into medicine. <laughs> And, oh, but that's such a mean thing to say. What did he say something like that? <laughs> Cousins in Bangladesh are mean. <laughs> I think it's just they feel like it's their right. Oh, I'm finally a cousin. Finally a younger kid to bully. <laughs> okay, Lena. So let's talk a little bit more about your internship. So, you know, do you remember you mentioned to me you were almost stuck in Philippines before the pandemic? Then how could you uh, manage to fly back to, fly back home? Um, that was one of the most scariest moments of my life. Mm-hmm. I was... So, for internships, they let you only get the tourist visas in Philippines. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I was under a tourist visa, so not even a proper work visa. Mm-hmm. And this was in February, end of February. Um, when people still didn't when majority of the people didn't have the idea on how deadly the pandemic is mm-hmm. not have a lot of research coming out about half the population was playing down which to be fair and i remember my boss telling me on friday that when we had a lot of significant spike in cases that don't worry about it nothing's going to happen just come to work on Monday, we'll go out for lunch. And on Monday morning, he calls me and says, I think you should leave the country. Have you seen the news? Seriously? Yes. I wake up and he, if you know him, he's a very, very calm man. That was the first time in two months that I have, that I heard him actually panicked. I start the news and basically the president is saying all visas all foreigners all visas are cancelled and all foreigners have to leave within 48 hours 
Wow. <laughs> and that's, got, that's going to be one of the scariest calls and, and news that, that you could have uh, received. I can't imagine, like, having been told that you have to leave the country in 48 hours. How do you do it? It was insane, especially when I, my parents started panicking and they sent me um, tickets to come back. Mm. So... First of all, there was hardly any tickets left because everyone in the city started panic buying flight tickets. Mm-hmm. I finally managed to get a Singapore Airlines ticket for exactly an hour before the time runs out. Ooh. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Thanks to my parents for generously contributing to that. But then the next step has happened, which is the country went into lockdown. So, I lived an hour away from the airport Mm -hmm. and no public transit or how could you go through the airport? Yep. Absolutely none. And I thought, okay, if... And all the ADV cars, which is the place I work, they were also restricted from traveling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is where... I learned how helpful people are. Um, I contacted my boss. My boss contacted some of very high officials. And basically, because we had a lot of nationalities, other interns who were stuck, we had to contact several embassies. Mm-hmm. We had two nationals, one Indian national. And finally, all the embassies kind of got together, arranged a car for us. And I remember going through the car with such a panic mode. Okay, we're going to get stopped now. We're going to end up in Filipino jail and die there. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> Scary. And when I reached the airport, I thought, okay, I'm glad this worked out. And then during the airport, um, the president, the administration realized how very less thought out the whole decision was and reversed the decision of the 48 hours oh my god by that time the airport was packed absolutely no social distancing because there was no space for social distancing yeah and everybody was in pure chaos so i can't imagine such a drama it was i'm just glad i survived through that (laughs) <laughs> we are glad you survived through that too, Lena. And uh, to change a little bit the subject into something a little bit more cheerful after that uh, bitter uh, experience you had. Uh, when you were in IH, as amazing as it was, and having been one of the most amazing cultural directors uh, Rizok ever had, uh, what are some of your best experiences uh, you can share uh, on the experience of being a cultural director and having uh, uh, been a resident in, in IH? IH is actually my third student accommodation because I lived in two while in the UK. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I can actually say that at this stage I know a little bit about student accommodation and I can safely say that IH is so different from any other student accommodation. Not because we have very lavish en suites. <laughs> we have wraps. 
The main thing is, I have no idea how IH does this, but they have almost all the residents have a unique ability to be extra kind. Mm, I, mm-hmm. whenever as a PhD student, I have had very bad days in my research. Whenever I came back, someone always noticed. And I have found the sweetest gifts outside my room. A mango, chocolate, a signature move of chef. Mm. Beautiful cards, which instantly cheered me up. IH is unbelievably nice group. And I think it's most likely the pattern of why we get to be together a lot due to having three meals a day mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and even though we choose to spend a lot of time together individually um resog does a wonderful support a wonderful job and the support i received from resog as a cultural di- director was unbelievable the social directors always try to help and i you know they're collaborated <laughs> with you quite a bit <laughs> One quick question, is the social director Jerry or <laughs> famous Jerry, hey? He is one of the nicest social directors out there. Oh, thank I you, I totally Lina. agree you. with you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, the social directors, I remember so many fun activities that I never thought I would take part if I didn't come to IH. And as a cultural director, I think every resident help me went completely out of their way uh, most of my events shout out to Sujit who's doing a wonderful job right now he um, is he is mm-hmm. definitely he's he's doing a lot of actual cultural events while mine was more food oriented because i honestly thought food is universal a binding <laughs> thing <laughs> um everyone drop by the events everyone came together and one of the best nights that i have planned was dumpling night oof yeah amazing and so many people just you know medical students that i thought okay these people have crazy amount of studying to do and if they mess up then they actually mess up because people depend on them speaking <laughs> as you have to cook clean I thought okay, these have to be the nicest bunch on the planet. As a Chinese, Lena, I was pretty surprised that it's you who organized the dumplings night <laughs> so successfully. Oh, I think you were one of the main cooks, right? Yeah. Yeah, you did such a wonderful job. I was taking a lot of advice from you and a bunch of other people because I had so limited knowledge of dumplings. And then I yeah. for one batch we actually forgot to add salt. <laughs> little mistake. A little mistake, but we're still trying to say, yeah, it's not that bad. <laughs> not that bad. By the way, Lina, how's your PhD going and how's your research going? Uh, my PhD uh, 
for those who I haven't spoken about it a million times already, um, my main PhD is uh, based on environmental economics. Yep. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So I basically, at, for currently, I'm looking at the impact of environmental policies in developing economies where they have a bit more limited resources and how efficiently they're implemented. Mm-hmm. So even though we want to save the world, we want to save the world efficiently. We don't want to waste the world's resources even further. As any other PhD student in IH will say, it's a roller coaster. <laughs> and extreme downs. And honestly, if you're not questioning whether you should quit once every four months. I envy you. <laughs> you are, that means you have reached the height of being an associate professor already. But it is going as expected, not that bad. I do feel, I do hope that my research ends up helping some government one day. Mm, we are very sure it will end up being like that. And how far along your research are you? Like, uh, are you almost done? Like, if you had to say, like, three quarters done, uh, halfway there, whereabouts are you? Well, we, at UNSW, um, different programs have different ways of measuring. At UNSW, we, the economics department, are expected to write three chapters. Mm -hmm. I basically have worked on three chapters but about half done in the first chapter three quarters done in my second chapter and a quarter done in on my third um it's sort of like this you keep thinking in april that oh my god this is the best idea i will win the nobel prize (laughs) and in august you think, okay, past me was an idiot. This is not original. Have to change everything. Mm. So that's basically the whole journey. So, and you're managing all this while being being working, right? You're at the moment uh, doing an internship or a full-time position? Uh, I'm working as a full-time consultant for the ADB, which is the Asian Development Bank. Mm. Ooh. Congratulations. And you were mentioning to me that uh, you're working as a risk consultant, right? Yes. And what does a risk consultant do, actually? Honestly, I really don't know much. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I guess nobody does and you will learn in the job. (laughs) Is that how it is? (laughs) So I was actually... um, hired as an economist initially as an economist intern Mm, and then i was sorted out with the risk management team where basically i learned how to do a lot of um economic modeling in measuring risk Mm. Uh, my boss there liked it and he asked me to come back and work with them full-time or at least until I get too busy with my PhD because he was he did say that he wanted a bit of an outside finance eye 
mm-hmm. uh, to contribute to some of the models. Uh, mm-hmm. But mostly a risk consultant, if you go to an average, let's say, an average accounting or finance institution in Australia, they basically say, okay, how risky a certain portfolio is and gives you advice on investment. Again, I'm an economist, so for all the finance student, please don't blame me if I'm wrong. <laughs> but um, ADB is a bit different in the sense that their main aim is not profit. Mm-hmm. He is a multi-development organization, so their main aim is they lend money to some of the poorest economy or the economies which are just developing in the hope that that loan would go to a mega infrastructure project which would facilitate the economic growth or any form of help to the economy. It could also be a loan for the country's education. So obviously so all these countries are very high risk. Um, one of ADB's biggest, well, Bangladesh actually receives quite a bit of donation and I am aware Bangladesh is an extremely high risk. So there, the risk department's job is basically to ensure that, okay, the loss isn't up to the magnitude that donors lose faith in the organization. Mm-hmm. The loan still goes to the most efficient project that actually helps the economy of that country the most. Well, it sounds like uh, with all these countries uh, you're helping, that you have a lot of work making sure making sure everything goes according to plan. <laughs> a lot of work, and the pandemic—it's it created even a lot, lot more work. So, Lena, I, I still remember the old days when we sit under the flags of different countries and it sounds like you went from Bangladesh to the UK and to the international house and now you are walking into the whole world. I feel very, very, very proud of you. Uh, anything else you would like to mention? Um, we'll see that, you know, working is a wonderful way to actually meet everyone and learn even a more better perspective of the world. I am just so grateful for all the privilege that I have received and even more grateful that I was able to use those privilege and work on my way forward. Um, for everyone that in IH, I mean, I keep I think I'm a bit like a grandma in my age where I keep telling all the young girls, okay, work. Work is one of the greatest things ever. So, yeah, that's my main thing. And even more importantly, make sure you actually like the work. <laughs> that's very that's very true before starting work make sure make sure everything is uh what, what you want and, and that you're happy doing it i think that's one of the most important things you will get burnt out if you actually don't like your job 
<laughs> yes, that would suck. Well, Lena, I would I would very much like you to uh, give uh, thanks for participating in in this uh, podcast with Xiao and I, and let you know that we are extremely proud of you, and we're very sure you're gonna go on uh, to do amazing things as an economist and as a, such a strong woman that you are. Oh, thank you, Gary. And that was it for today, guys. I hope you enjoyed the this episode for the IH Random Podcast. Uh, as you heard, we were talking to Lina, this amazing economist and such a smart woman. And um, we just hope you are enjoying the episodes and keep in touch. Uh, I'll give you the. I'll ask Lina to say her Instagram account. Do you have an Instagram account, Lena? I unfortunately don't. Oh, well, in any case, just uh, give her a thumbs up in the page, guys, and show some support and make sure you send us some comments and uh, let us know what you think about all this and keep in touch for the next episode. Thank See you, guys. Thank you. <laughs>